Hello and welcome to the Diane Genders Divorce and Family Law Podcast. My name's Neil Denny. And I'm Faye Bentley. And we're both solicitors with Diane Genders specialising in divorce and family law, which is helpful seeing as this is a divorce and family law podcast. In this episode, we're going to be looking at some of those first considerations you should bear in mind when you're starting to think about divorce and separation. We know by looking at our analytics on Google and such like that, a lot of visitors to our website uh, kind of surf around late at night when those initial thoughts about divorce and separation just starting to creep in. So we just wanted to provide some resources to help you, uh, if you like, have a checklist of source as to what you might want to be thinking about. Um, I, I say that we're doing that. Uh, in fairness to Faye, she's done most of the work. Uh, so Faye, how many of these um, tips have you got? Oh, I've got a whole list of them. I think I've got 14 um, that I've thought of. I'm not sure if you've got any as well. Uh, I haven't got anything because uh, I, <laughs> <Great start. laughs> I was kind of relying on you. So 14, so a perfectly arbitrary number. So this is uh, phase top uh, 14 considerations when first thinking about divorce and separation. Um, Faye, when you were looking at this, are, are the considerations the same for men and women? No, it's really interesting actually online. Um, there's a real difference between the advice that people are giving to men and the advice that people are giving to women. Um, that sort of reaffirms that gender stereotype that men are going out earning the money, whereas women are the homemakers. Now, of course, that isn't the case in every family. Um, but we need to make sure that, you know, we give the right advice to, to both parties, irrespective of what gender they are. You were saying earlier that some of your tips for the women tend to be around more around the therapeutic side of things. Absolutely. Uh, and, and for men, it seems to be a bit more, mm, dare I say, manipulative. It is. It's definitely talking about get your house in order, sort your business out, talk to your accountant. You know, if you're thinking your relationship's on the rocks, should you be getting a prenup? So, oh, sorry, a postnup, obviously. So, after the marriage has taken place, an agreement to resolve finances. And in general terms, postnups and prenups for that um, are almost minimizing the wife or the mother's um, claims in relation to the husband's assets. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of the advice for men is, is centered around that um, to basically not hide assets, but keep them so that they're as far away from uh, from the wife so that it makes it as difficult as possible mm. uh, for the wife to be able to, to get their hands on the money, so to speak. Which, of course, is a very good reason why you need legal advice, especially if you're a wife in that situation or um, uh, a husband who's... Uh, look at that, I've just fallen into the gender... <laughs> Trap myself, see how easily it's done. It is, it's very easy to do. And a lot of the case law is drafted in that way as well, isn't yeah. it? So I think a lot of people do talk about that. And even when we talk about this podcast and trying to help people, I think it's important for people to remember that actually even though we may say husband or wife, of course it can be the other party. Um, it's, it's obviously, you know, whoever's earning the money. Do, do you um, think it would be really annoying for our listeners if instead we use the labels financially dominant party... And but then what's the alternative? Weaker financially weaker, I suppose. We could try it, couldn't we? If, if it's annoying, uh, write in and let us know. You can write in and let us know at Faye at diangenders.co.uk. <laughs> or uh, Neil at Yeah, if you've got anything good to say about the podcast, then uh, write into Neil at diangenders.co.uk. Faye, um, without further ado, um, t- tell us what's on your list. Um, actually, the first thing on my list is an idea that I stole from you, Neil. Um, so you might want to go into this in a bit more detail. Um, but it was talking about having a capital fund for surprises mm. and being able to support yourself moving forward. So did you want to explain that a bit more? Yeah, nice, nice pushback. Um, so what I was, uh, th- this is the idea that very often when clients come to us, 
I think there can be this uh, expectation that things are going to be sorted out really quickly. Uh, and the reality, as you and I know, is that very often when we first write to the other spouse, the husband or the wife or the partner, uh, then things tend to get a bit frosty for a while. Uh, and what can happen there is that if if that other partner is the one who has been paying the bills and such like, they can uh, withhold that support all of a sudden. And th- there are strategic reasons why they might do that to try and put pressure on you and such like. So for that reason, I think it's really good to make sure that you've got some credit behind you or that you've spoken to maybe your own parents uh, if they're able to help just to make sure that you've got a uh, money available in case uh, you know the, the the other streams of income stop uh, so, so uh, yes having some credit available is really important okay are there things that people can do if they don't have that option available to them there are but then we tend to fall into these rather ironic positions where they need to pay for the legal advice in order to access those remedies Uh, so it's possible to apply to the court for an order for what's called maintenance pending suit this is uh, uh, money coming through whilst we sort out the full picture The, the whole divorce including financial matters and children matters could take six to nine months realistically Uh, And so it's possible to get an order that your partner has to pay you a monthly sum usually uh, as you go through that six to nine month period. It's also possible to apply to the court for an order that they have to pay your legal fees for you. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that. I was just about to come on to that. Yeah, but but those, they're they're certainly not straightforward. The courts will want to make sure that you've exhausted every other possibility, first of all, and that will include looking at loans, credit cards, and something called litigation uh, loans. Uh, this is something that we use here at Diane Genders on occasion. Uh, companies such as Iceberg or Novitas. Novitas yeah. uh, and you can go to them and you can ask for funding and they will provide you with, uh, we as your solicitors, estimate how much it's going to cost and we arrange a borrowing facility. But the important thing is that's for the legal fee. So that isn't going to help pay at Waitrose or Tesco or wherever you do your grocery shopping. No, of course. And that's obviously going to be really, really important to mm. someone who's thinking about a divorce straight away. Okay. I think also as part of that, I think it's really important that people understand what their financial position is. So understand what their outgoings are, how much their mortgage costs on a monthly basis, how much their bills are, Mm. little things like that. Because I think people, when they start a divorce process, obviously they're concentrating on the emotion. There's lots of other things going on. And actually people's understanding of their own financial circumstances is really important. And it really helps us as lawyers to help get a grip of their case. Mm when they come in to talk to us um, and so yeah understanding people's financial position is is number two on my list number two uh, very good do you, do you know as you say that it strikes me it would be a good idea we haven't got it already to put our monthly budget planner onto the website yeah uh, so by the time you're listening to this uh, it should be on there and again if it isn't uh, you know who you can email about that that was neil at dianegenders.co.uk hey your next point is um, my next point was when someone comes in to have a chat with a solicitor, um, even before they do that, even just picking up the phone to somebody and to come in to arrange an appointment is quite a daunting prospect. But don't be scared by it. You know, we are used to seeing clients, sadly, who are in an emotional state because their relationship is breaking down. But it's more than okay for people to come in and have a chat with us and meet us and get to understand that you know that we're normal people too we understand that that people are going through a tricky time and we can give them advice in an appropriate way so that hopefully they can take on board the right information and right advice to help them work out where they're going to go and how they're going to progress things for themselves um 
And sometimes it's also really helpful to bring a friend along to, to those meetings so that afterwards, you know, when you're having a cup of tea, they can sort of remind you of some of the things that we've talked about. Because obviously in advice sessions, we as lawyers will give lots of information. We want to try and help people as much as we can. And so sometimes I think we can give too much information for someone to retain straight away or you'll just pick out little bits of information that are particularly relevant to you but you might overlook or forget something um, that might have also been really relevant so sometimes bringing a friend along that can help just for someone to be a second pair of ears and Mm. just help you talk it through later on Mm. it can be a great help can't it i think our ability to take in information when we're stressed or agitated is uh, severely limited. So mm. having that uh, second pair of ears, I mean, very often people will come in with their, their own mother or father, yeah, won't they? Yeah, absolutely, uh, or support. their best friend. Yes. Um, you know, any, anyone really can come in. Yes. Even sort of I, ideally, though, don't come in with the children, I would oh, say. No, absolutely not. It's, it's really important that any sort of discussions about separation and any adult issues are really kept away from the children. Mm. And I think that's absolutely vital advice um, throughout the whole of the divorce proceedings, you know, to include sorting out money and also arrangements for the children. Mm. I think, you know, children really need to be sort of isolated from, from all of these adult issues. And that's definitely mm. um, critical for, for people to consider. Yeah, so if at all possible, have uh, childcare sorted out. Point four was about legal advice and the fact that you're always entitled to it. So some parties sometimes try to tell their spouse um, that they're not entitled to legal advice or that they shouldn't go and get legal advice. And I think it's really easy for one um, spouse to say, oh, solicitors, they'll ramp up the fees, they'll make Mm. it cost lots of money, don't go and get legal advice. And actually that's quite a controlling way of preventing someone from finding out actually what the true picture is because everyone thinks that they're a lawyer in disguise you know everyone thinks that they're some form of expert um, because you know they know someone who's gone through a divorce and x y and z happened and so they think that that is a blanket thing that should happen to everybody and of course as we know Neil that's not the case everyone's case is different and everyone needs to get tailored information about their specific circumstances and so it's absolutely critical that people go to a solicitor to find out that advice mm. and that they also trust that legal advisor and um, so yes it's really important that they have a rapport with their solicitor that they can click with their solicitor and um, but also that they really trust the advice that they're getting from that solicitor some spouses as we know will start to tell our clients that oh no your solicitor's talking rubbish when actually we're not talking rubbish we're telling them exactly we, we often, the point we often see this don't we where the the other partner will try to drive a wedge in between Absolutely. the client and their advisor yes and obviously you know when trust is broken down in a relationship it's still really difficult you know when you've got a new relationship with a solicitor on a professional basis but you've got your you know your husband or your wife who you've you've loved and trusted for so many years mm. if they start telling you that actually th- this new advisor doesn't know what they're talking about it's very difficult to actually separate from that and think actually you know the trust has gone between us and I don't need to believe what they're telling me mm. and you know I'm paying my solicitor for legal advice we're going to be giving them the right advice and that's what they need to be listening to mm. not you know friends down the pub or or the uh, yeah the so to yes, speak. yes. Do you know the other line that I hear is, is, is this one? Um, oh, oh, trust me, you, you don't need to go and see a solicitor. Yeah, I mean, I'll it's look a classic, after isn't you, it? won't I? <laughs> uh, and uh, and it, again, this can be very persuasive, particularly if it's a long relationship yeah. where the uh, where one partner is used to following the other partner's lead. 
uh, that that can be very very difficult to to overcome so it, so watch out for that yeah i mean it definitely you know makes alarm bells ring for me when people say that you know well i'll look after you well then what's the problem in going to see a solicitor then just to make sure that yes. what you know your husband or your wife is saying to you is them looking after you actually that that is them looking after you and that is a good deal for you mm. um, and, and and just so that there will be some people who are listening and they'll be accusing us of being self-serving we're not just saying come and see us and get legal advice no of course we, we, we any solicitor get, just get the legal advice Absolutely. that's the main thing yeah. yeah and of course if people can come to an agreement which is great for them or you know works well in their family scenario and um, then of course people can come and see us we can give them the advice to say yeah let's get this signed up and let's get this ratified by the court so that you have a binding order that you can rely on so you know that your ex-husband or ex-wife isn't going to go back on mm. that agreement that you've reached that's also really important you know and there have been cases haven't there where people um have not or well, there's a question as to whether or not they have had a legal, uh, legally binding order sorting out their finances. And some 20 odd years later, following the separation, one of those parties now becomes a multi-millionaire. Um, no financial order can be made. And so, you know, claims can be brought. So yes. it's absolutely vital that, you know, people get that legal advice and get a financial order, whether it's an agreement that the parties have reached mm. themselves or whether that's an agreement that we've helped them reach um, directly or if it has to be via the court, mm. but to get an order at the end of the day so that everyone has got that security Absolutely. of knowing what their position is moving forward. Yeah. So what's your next point? Next point is on privacy. Um, and this is a point that, um, that's that been in the law, well, famous case sort of a few years ago now. I think it was 2010. So the case is generally known as an Immerman case. Um, and it's talking about the fact that everyone has privacy, um, even within a, a marriage, even within sort of shared filing cabinets and such like. Everyone has their own privacy. So you can't just go and rifle through your husband or your wife's financial papers to find all of the information that you need. You certainly can't be bringing that into your solicitor to ask them to look at. Um, and, and that's something that people don't know about. Mm. Um, and the amount of times that, you know, people talk about or, or clients just come in with carrier bags full carrier bags of, of things of yeah i mean I this found. is years ago this used to happen it's happening less and less nowadays and um, but it certainly puts us in a very difficult position there are very strict rules in terms of what we can and what we have to do um in terms of this disclosure but it does give us a, a huge amount of problems potentially and um, so we really can't look at any of these documents and it all stems from the fact that a few years ago in this Immerman case, there was a husband and wife going through a divorce and husband ran quite a successful business and the wife got her brothers to go and break into um, the husband's office. But wasn't it Del Monte? It, I don't know. I, I, think, it, I think it was. <laughs> was I, I, it? I, think, I think the business was Del Monte. <laughs> and and so, um, so, 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 so the wife kind of accessed... Lots of information. loads of data and such like. And the courts came down on her like a ton of bricks. Absolutely. And that has set a precedent in terms of what has to happen now in all family cases, um, which is quite different from the position that we had before, mm. uh, which was, oh, look, we've got these documents of yours. We've taken a copy, but here are your originals. That used to yeah. work. Um, whereas so we can't do that now. Criminal damage or Absolutely. Anything, yeah. And obviously it's, it's right. still an offence to open someone else's mail. Some mm. people don't think that. Um, and whilst... 
some people do operate like that during the course of their marriage obviously at the point of separation this then becomes a very very difficult issue and people really need to be careful about what they're doing and looking at their conduct because what we don't want is people being caught um, on the wrong side of the law or at Mm. least um, sort of having to change solicitors or or make costly applications to the court to deal with these issues properly Mm. it's far better that it's dealt with in the correct way from from the beginning yeah Great. Thank you very much. Point six. I'm trying to read your notes upside down, but I'm failing miserably. (laughs) Sorry. I don't think my writing was neat as well. Um, So my next point was just about um, business deals and business uh, applications. And this was one of those um, things that I'd seen in relation to advice about husbands. Um, And so this was sort of saying to husbands, you know, get your house in order. Don't be doing anything that's going to, you know, you know, benefit you on your business hand. Um, but at the same time, that might come back to to bite you on your matrimonial finances, kind of thing. Um, so what they were thinking about was where you're making a commercial loan application. If you're saying that your business is doing, however well, your projections are this, mm-hmm. that, and the other. Um, well, of course wife is entitled to make an application to to or, see or those or the absolutely sorry yes to the be, non-business uh, owning spouse can make that application um to see a copy of that loan agreement and so if you have sort of maybe overinflated or you know talked up your business your prospects whatever it may be um to to ascertain that the right things for your business then of course wife is going to seek to rely on that as part of the financial proceedings that yes you are doing that well sorry I said wife again didn't I I've slipped into that trap (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah that of of course that you know the financially weaker party is going to be saying well look you know he was saying to these commercial banks providers whoever it may be and that this is my position and therefore the wife is going to seek to rely on that and that would be very difficult for the financially dominant party to to argue against that when Mm. that's effectively you know their own evidence so the 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 other hole that uh, the the business owning spouse uh, falls into is if there are negotiations in relation to uh, shares, for Absolutely. example, if there are some arrangements being made with people buying into shares or raising capital and such like. Because it's very easy. One of the questions that you and I are quite used to asking in those situations is, well, let us see the documentation and the figures on which those negotiations have been based. So if, if you're in that position or if you're thinking that there might be a divorce or separation, six to (laughs) two years down the line you really want to uh, maybe get those things sorted before entering into those commercial decisions absolutely or if not just be prepared that those are the figures that are going to be used you know and if they're the right figures then absolutely you know then that's the figures that that we use moving forward the refreshing sound of transparency um good point seven this one looks really short. What's that? It is. It's a really short point. Um, it was just to do with, um, very simplistically, um, about um, profit and loss accounts and, biz- uh, and balance sheets in business accounts. Um, and there are certain things where, you know, if even, like, you know, husband and wife are running a business together or if it, you know, husband, for example, um, is running a business and they need to go and buy some new equipment, whether it be, you know, I don't know. Business equipment. <laughs> business equipment yeah, but something that's very costly um, or even in farming situations you know they need to buy a new tractor or trailer lorry whatever it may be um, the, the timing of that can be quite crucial in terms of how it appears on the balance sheet and on the profit and loss account in terms of what it does to the figures um, because they can have quite dramatic impacts in terms of where you put where you place those assets um, on an accounting basis and how that then ends up um, affecting what 
profit the business has made. So there's some quite tricky sort of accountancy things that, that can be dealt with that maybe ought to be factored in um, if it's you know if you are thinking about a divorce. Mm. And, and you know the, the other thing with businesses, and you know, we're talking about the profit and loss account and the balance sheet, um, isn't it, it's always frustrating, isn't it, from our position as advisors when we're looking for a, a details on the business how is it doing looking to get a feel mm. for how it's getting on and and the only accounts that we've got are 15 16 17 months out Absolutely. of date yeah, yeah it's it does it presents us with a huge problem um i mean there's a new company's house um, site which gives us some information and mm. um, which has been really really good and I found that really useful recently I think uh, you've you've used it a couple of times mm. too um, but of course that's great if they're you know publicly traded companies but quite a lot or, or bigger companies um, but quite a lot of the cases that that most people would would deal with and um, would be far smaller and they're for you know the businesses can claim a small business exemption mm. so they don't file all of their accounts um, yes. online um, and so quite often we are working and even just with the way that the financial year ends and when books need to be prepared etc you know the last set of accounts that are available to us do seem to be you know quite out of date mm. um which if the business is fairly constant and is turning over roughly the same and you know profits are roughly the same year on year then that's not too difficult but it just seems to happen that businesses uh, start to do differently mm. don't they when, I mean, uh, when so it's if, if, if you're the business owner uh how does this work if you're the business owner my gut feeling is that there might be a temptation to just let your accounts run so that the latest ones are really quite old by the time we get to this stage so you know so you've got to your year end and mm. you've got your period of grace before you have to file your accounts uh, i think i think the temptation there is to just like leave that right to the very end of yeah, that period of but isn't it the case that if these if, if these divorces and forgive us because we're talking about business owners for for a while if, if these divorces go to court it's, it's then very difficult to reassure the judge yeah of, of what the up-to-date the, position the impact is. in terms of credibility actually i think is is quite difficult because if you're saying on one hand oh look i'm being really open and transparent this is my position but actually and here's my 18 month old accounts yeah really late in filing my accounts i think you've got a bit of an uphill battle to say to mm. the judge actually judge look this is the figures that you, or these are the figures that you should be relying upon mm. you know the judge is going to be asking the questions as to why these accounts aren't up to date or why you know you haven't filed your most recent set of accounts mm. you know that definitely puts you on the back foot um, and so absolutely in the spirit of you know transparency full and frank financial disclosure which is you know an absolute must um in in financial cases you know people should be provi providing that information and actually it means that we can get things done quicker you know if we yes. get the up-to-date um accounts as quickly as possible then that means we can really start to assess what people's uh, financial positions are and therefore we can start to think about settlement which means that we can finish all of this at quicker which ultimately helps everybody because mm. um you know everyone can then start to move on with their lives so good it point, really it? doesn't help but for the sake of the the limited company doing part year accounts for mm. example where you're just summarizing the, yeah. the management records as if you know this was a seven month trading period or whatever it might be for the the cost of doing that the amount of debate and argument which of course all drives up the legal costs yeah. Uh, the amount of debate and argument that it saves is uh, is huge. So, so if you're the business owner, seriously think, well, certainly make sure that your management uh, accounts are up to date because mm -hmm. uh, your partner is going to be asking for that. 
and if if possible, get the part year accounts done when you first go to see the solicitors. And then you can say, well, you know, you've brought it up to date. And, you know, so long as those accounts are three to four months um, up to date, no one's going to be arguing about that. The, the lawyers, both us and on the other side, they'll be grateful that, that you've got dates that up to date. So uh, accounts that up to date. Absolutely. You know, and it also shows, you know, what the position was as close to separation yeah. as we possibly can do, um, which, is, which is clearly very relevant for sorting out finances. Yes, your point eight is like two words. What's that? <laughs> it's the word postnup. Postnup. Yeah. Go on. So I think we we've touched on this earlier on. Um, if you're starting to think that you know maybe the relationship's a little bit rocky, um, and that you want to really sort of well, you want to avoid that thought that you know separation is going to entail really costly legal fees. Is going to be you know an ongoing lengthy battle, which of course. It doesn't have to be, but a lot of people think that that is what's going to happen. Um, but if you're starting to think that way, some people um, would suggest that maybe you could have some form of postnuptial agreement. So a bit like a prenup, which lots of people have heard about and feel a little bit more comfortable with that idea. But a postnuptial agreement is essentially the same. It's it's an agreement that's reached between a husband and wife after they've got married to determine how financial matters should be settled so who gets what um if the relationship breaks down hmm. and so that might be maybe a slightly cynical way of dealing with it, it, it is, um, it's, it's a it? bit horrible I, I think it is there is a bit of bad taste there from I, my I, point I, of I view don't know about you but i've i've done very few of those no i haven't really, i haven't done them i was at that. a conference recently and they were talking about it and maybe for some people it it does give them some form of surety maybe and and that's quite important but for surely some it would people, just be the final nail in a coffin i would it? think so yeah so imagine if i went to my wife and i said mm, look i've been thinking the way <laughs> things are right now i wonder if we might just have an exploratory conversation about how we'd carve up the money and time with the children just in case not that but it's going to th- come to that it's I, I agree with you. I think, you know, it wouldn't sit particularly well with your wife at all. Mm. Um, and I hope she wouldn't stop baking as carrot cake if, <laughs> <laughs> if that were to happen. But um, I think it's a similar thought process, isn't it, in relation to the prenup? You know, mm. at what point in time, you know, once you've popped the question, do you turn around and say, now then, darling, oh, and another just thing. wondering, um, <laughs> do you want to sign a prenup? Because when obviously we do split up... Um, you know, that's how we want to carve up the money. And you just think, well, I don't really know when it's appropriate for that question to be <laughs> to be asked. Perhaps it's quite just, difficult, isn't it? I, I'm often struck that the vast majority of um, family law professionals are actually very old-fashioned and quite <laughs> romanticised about marriage and such. <laughs> I don't know how when we're such cynical people the rest yeah. of us. Well, look, perhaps we can talk about that in, in a future one. Uh, okay, number nine. Um, number nine is full and frank financial disclosure. And, and it's one of the key fundamentals that we have to work on. And sometimes I think um, this concept of full and frank financial disclosure, firstly, let me explain what that is. What does is. it mean? Yeah. So, so what that means is we want to see 12 months bank statements. We want to see your last P60. We want to see three months uh, pay slips. 
Um, what else haven't I talked about, Neil? Uh, those up-to-date things. business accounts oh, we were just talking yes, about. Yes, those, of course. Pension, uh, pension, pension valuations, transfer values. Absolutely. Um, valuations of other assets that you might have, more than £500. So, you know, cars, mm. details of any credit card debts mm. that you've got, any loans, obviously valuations of houses, any other properties that you may own, stock shares, ISAs, all of those sorts of things. So, basically, absolutely everything in relation to your financial situation Um Surrender values for um, endowment policies or, or life policies that have a maturity date that are going to provide some form of uh, cash payout. All of those sorts of things we, we need. Um, and we really, really have to get that information before we can advise our clients about what kind of settlement that they can receive. And and that, when you first broach that subject and say, well, I can't do anything until I can see your financial disclosure, I think puts people off a little bit but there's a very good reason for for us saying that we can't advise without that information and that's because um, obviously if we advise on the basis that someone's told us that they have a couple of thousand in a bank they've got a house which is worth two hundred thousand pounds it's got a mortgage of say a hundred thousand pounds but that's it if we were to give advice on that then well I'm not going to predetermine what our advice would be but we're looking at what the assets are there if we didn't know, however, that one of the parties happened to have a pension that was paying out or was due to pay out to that person, you know, a salary of, I don't know, something crazy, but, you know, £60,000 a year as mm. pensionable income. With a tax-free lump sum. Yeah, with, exactly. Yeah. You know, and especially with all of these rules that the government have brought in with the recent budgets that you can withdraw money out of the pension applicable um, rates of tax obviously apply but you you're no longer capped at that 25 percent which you used to be capped at um so pensions can can have a real impact and it's not just pensions of course it's just one example that i'm picking mm. but yeah if we don't know everything that about your financial circumstances then of course it stands to reason that we can't then advise you about and, and when you say that that, that relates to both partners doesn't it it does it absolutely does so i mean very often we'll get the, you know the phone call from the Perhaps the partner who hasn't started the divorce, and they can be quite irate sometimes, can't they? But well, mm. why am I? You know, why should I give this information? And and it's and that's that's a bitter pill to swallow. But yes. it's it's an absolute key part of this process of uh, trying to settle and, and trying to keep matters out of court. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we need the information. It needs to be that exchange of disclosure, the full and frank disclosure, and then the negotiations and and the the advice, and then hopefully settlement at the end of that absolutely i mean i'm sure you'll agree with me neil that you know the vast majority of cases that we deal with that end up in court the reason that people end up getting into court is because they one party is failing to provide Mm. that full and frank financial disclosure Mm. you know it's not the fact that the lawyers are just not agreeing on what the settlement terms should be the difficulty actually is finding out what one party's financial position is so that we can advise our own client as to what uh, what they should be looking I, I, for. I think you're reading my notes because when you were oh, talking earlier... Oh, I'm not. Earlier, I can't see. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, you see my writing. When, when, when you were talking earlier, I wrote down uh, a line here just for a future podcast on uh, why do some divorces get expensive. Ah, so, uh, so, so good we, point. We can, we can yeah. come on to that later on. Okay, 10. Number 10 out of 14. 10 is don't use your children as pawns. Ow. So, yeah, and it's it sounds awful, doesn't it? You know, that there's a, effectively a tug of war in relation to children. And I don't mean this just in relation to um, child arrangements. Mm. I mean it as though some people will use their children as a way to get more money out of the other party. And it's a really, really low trick. I, I think that when when couples find themselves in 
conflict and when, when the divorce and separation is coming about, I, I think I, I think they can be convinced that they're doing the right thing by their children. Mm. Um, but the problem is that, that that's a subjective point of view and that when a third party such as the judge looks at it, you know, forget about what your spouse or your partner thinks, when the judge looks at it, then it can look uh, really quite sinister yeah. uh, in, in comparison. So I think that, I think you're right. I think we have to be, if you like, double check that. The thing that I'm doing, the, the kind of comments and the arguments that I'm putting forward, could these be misinterpreted? And, you know, again, speak to your lawyer to, to make sure that it's not going to come across in, in, in that way because that can be highly damaging and feasibly it could go, go against you when the court's reaching a decision, either to the time that the, this child is going to spend with each parent or when it comes to sorting out the finance. Uh, so, so not using the children as pawns, absolutely essential. Point 11 there? Um, it's out with the old before you go in with the new. So <laughs> <laughs> This is about new relationships, it is, indeed, is it? You n- go on. New. Um, so... One of the things that can be quite contentious when people are separating, obviously emotions are running high anyway. Um, if one party is a, a bit further along in that journey than mm. the other um, and they start to get into a new relationship, that can cause problems. Number one, it causes problems because one party might not have accepted that the relationship's over and so that's really difficult. So it might make one party want to try and take everything that they can Um or it might have the opposite effect um, in terms of uh, people saying, oh, well, that person can't be trusted to be around my children. It can cause mm. all sorts of difficulties. Um, in terms of how it impacts on finances, if you start living with your new partner, that can have a huge impact if you're mm. cohabiting. Um, because one of the the things that the court will take into account is a party's housing needs. And if a party is, is rehoused, quite well or, or adequately you know with their new party and if finances are stretched and you know only one party can afford to, to buy a new house well maybe you know the person who's now cohabiting will be seen by the judge to to have their needs met and that might mean that they might be financially prejudiced by doing that so i think it's absolutely right that people sort of avoid getting into new relationships certainly getting into cohabiting relationships until such time as they've sorted the finances out Mm. or if they are going to go off and have a long-term relationship with somebody else maybe it is right that they do do that because why would they need the extra money if they're just depriving uh one party and and the children of, of a a better standard of living so it yeah. is, it's all about uh, that transparency isn't it so if you're in a relationship for it's, example it's, it's about the transparency isn't it and it's also about uh, how much is there to to go around yeah. and, and what what we find is that we, we have this sliding scale if, if there's enough as it is to uh, meet everyone's needs then these kind of uh, other legal issues kind of reduce mm, in importance yeah. don't they but certainly in, in the vast majority of cases there's barely enough if enough at all to provide for two households um, uh, and so in those cases, if you're living with someone else, you can find it very difficult to uh, access what you might see as being your entitlement within uh, yeah. the, the, the previous family home. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And the, the other problem, of course, with cohabiting is there's that question. <laughs> you know the one I'm talking <laughs> do, about, don't you? I do, of course. If you're cohabiting, tell us uh, your uh, cohabiting partner's income and, and capital assets. position. And my goodness, people hate to answer that question. Yeah. Well, people really are quite affronted, aren't they, mm. by, you know, well, why should my new girlfriend or why should my new boyfriend be brought into this? And if mm. they're not really being brought into it. But, you know, it's, it's clearly relevant if someone is cohabiting with mm. someone, you know, if someone's got a multi-million pound house that, you know, the ex-husband's moved into, um, 
then of course if there's a modest family home um then of course the court's going to try and look to ensure that you know mum in that in that situation is going to be left in the family home with the children if dad's mm. living off in this new massive house for yes. example yeah uh, and uh, don't don't go taking this as advice this this isn't us saying if you're cohabiting with someone else you can't get you can't make a claim against equity in the family home no, or anything, of but um uh, you know it's more sophisticated than that which is why it's really important that you take legal advice on it uh, great your next point um, where are we up to? Where are we up to on my list? I think we're up to, we're up to 12, 12, aren't we? Yeah. Um, You've kept so your best I three to the <laughs> end, haven't you? Just to give you the big um, I put So while it might be tough to deal with straight away, um, there is a, an idea that it's better to start dealing with the financial position now. So trying to, to sort of give it some closure and some finality um, and don't just accept a deal to stop you know one party keep coming back for more and more and more just you know put the drawbridge up and say no that's it this is it we're done let's sort this all out Um, because just keep going back just Mm. doesn't always help Mm. Um, yeah yeah, I mean again some some couples can be quite conflict averse can't they you know they Mm. it's very difficult for many couples even when they're together to talk about money uh, let alone when they're separating and and for those I think they 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 kind of go into these rather uh, they they, they kind of fudge the arrangement so so we'll just keep either ticking over in a certain way so as not to rock the boat Mm. Or even worse, uh, again, normally it's the uh, the financially uh, what's that phrase you had? Financially, financially dominant, dominant and financially weaker. The financially weaker party uh, will very often just accept what is offered to them yeah, by little the drips financial and drabs dominant. Sometimes, absolutely. Uh, and, and that's you know that's that's very dangerous because the, the financially dominant knows uh, exactly what is in the kitty and will know how much, uh, chances are they've already taken advice, and they know how much this is going to cost her or him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why they're now trying to make a proposal quickly and early in the proceedings, and trust me, I'll look after you, and if you accept this deal, we, we save thousands of pounds on legal fees and so on and so forth. These are the kind of things that get said Or even just promising, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll always just make sure you're okay, and I'll always just give you some more trust money. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that becomes really, really difficult. And actually, there are times when, you know, judges have turned around and said, well, you agreed that, you know, at separation, mm. that's what you said. That's how you um, ended up settling things. So you're not going to be able to get a second bite at the cherry. Yeah. I mean, so it can have all sorts of so ramifications. So you, you, uh, you could sum this uh, advice up, couldn't you, as uh, grasping the nettle? You could. So I said that like it was like really portentous <laughs> or something. I was wondering what you were going to say. <laughs> it wasn't very good, was it? Uh, great. So uh, your next point is point 13. So the next point was don't just accept a settlement. Um, oh, have I stolen your thunder on this? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. It's more a bit, it's a bit like um, short-term pain, long-term gain. So sometimes, um, even if it's down to the silly little things like um, dividing contents and one person creates a list and says, I want this, this, this and this out of the house. And the other person says, oh, no, you can't have this, that and the other. Um, but after a little bit of toing and froing, you just think, oh, I'm getting fed up of this now. Yes, OK, fine. Mm. Well, you can have that. That's fine if you'll now go away. Um, but then once that person thought, oh, hold on a minute, they've, they've conceded on this point. Now I'm going to ask for this, that and the other as well. And they yes. just keep on going and keep on going and keep on going. And sometimes that person feels as though... Um, 
So the person who was saying, okay, fine, well, you can have this and you can have that. So they're in a slightly weaker position or they feel that they're in a weaker position. And, and they're just so fed up of their unreasonable spouse just keep requesting things. Mm. And they just, for an easier life, they just feel as though if they say, okay, that eventually these requests will stop. But unfortunately, as we both know, that they don't stop. I, I, I call this the Columbo model of negotiation do you remember peter falk in colombo the tv no, series well well some of the listeners will know peter falk in colombo and he, he had that he had that thing he's a detective he's a private eye and he has okay. that thing where he'll, he'll meet with like the suspect and he's playing it really cool and everything and he'll get like some low level information and he'll start walking towards the door and uh, uh, saying farewell and you can see the suspect breathes his sigh of relief and then Columbo comes back and his kind of catchphrase is this thing, oh, j- just just one more thing, sir. <laughs> um, and, and it is, it's this always oh, just, just one from? more thing. That's <laughs> it. Yeah, so that's, that's the Columbo. So, so don't, watch out when it's happening. Watch out when you're making those kind of uh, concessions time after time. Yeah, and, and also it applies to, to general settlement, not just in relation to contents as well, because you sort of think sometimes, okay, well, I'll just accept this. Maybe it's not quite as much as money as I, uh, mm. as I would have liked, but yes, it does ena- enable me to, to buy a house so I can get away from this horrible situation. Mm. So to get this all over with, I will accept something that's maybe not quite what I want to accept. It's sometimes really dangerous. Um, it can it leave is, you high and dry. yeah, and it can leave you high dry and then you know especially in you know a year's time or something when you're really struggling to make ends meet and then you know the other spouse then you know starts a new relationship they've got more money than than sense you know mm. and, and they're living the life of riley and, and that sort of really um compounds your your woes and you feel really sorry for yourself and um, quite naturally <laughs> But it'll be too late to do anything about Absolutely. it. Absolutely, and that's the problem, not. isn't it? Yeah. Um, and so people really need to, even if it is difficult and even if it does seem maybe a little bit hard to say, no, that's it, I'm, I'm done, or no, I'm going to stick out for, for what I'm what I'm rightfully entitled to. Mm. It's, it's right to go through that sort of short-term pain because in the long term, it's going to stand you in far better stead. Good so, point. Yeah, that's, Good point. That's, yeah. I was maybe saving my best to last, wasn't I? Uh, because <laughs> now you've got your final point, point number 14. Um, so this is not to make horrible comments or react sometimes you know we just need to take five minutes or maybe sleep on something um before taking our next action um so whether that be that i don't know you didn't know about your divorce proceedings until your divorce petition lands on your mm-hmm. doormat from the court that's pretty harsh and so it might you know if you you receive your divorce petition in that way and someone hasn't sent you the divorce petition beforehand or at least had the courtesy to tell you what's going to happen you might feel you know persuaded to send quite a grumpy text message or or something oh, um and it's just not messages. helpful so is can, it can we just change this why don't we just change this tip to don't text absolutely don't, don't text don't, don't, don't email don't phone don't, don't facebook don't oh definitely don't facebook <laughs> There's an article on the blog that you can find at dianegenders.co.uk forward slash blog, uh, which is about social media and just how I've never seen social media make a divorce go better. Never. It's it really doesn't help anybody, does it? And you know, and, and at the other end of the scale, you know, it may get to the point where um, phone calls and text messages get to the extent actually that they're considered to be harassment, or, or you know, yes. they're so violent or threatening that actually one party could get an order against you, and um, whether it be a personal order to um, what's called a non-molestation order to stop you from communicating with them, uh, maybe going 
within so many meters of the school, the children's schools, that person's workplace, mm. um, to stop you uh, sending any forms of communication, to stop you threatening or or using violence against that person. So there's those types of orders. The other order is also that, you know, potentially if your conduct has been that bad, um, a judge may order that you have to leave your home and that's called an occupation order. Mm. Um, and so obviously no one wants to be at the wrong end of that and being kicked out of their home. Um, so I think people need to be really, really aware of that. Mm. And actually, you know, sometimes reacting like you want to isn't the best thing. And actually taking five minutes or, or an hour or sleeping on it for a night a couple of nights just to sort of like you know let the emotional side of things you know calm down mm. before a much more reasoned and rational approach and answer to, to something but without that gut you know that that real gut need to react is is irresistible sometimes isn't it and um i i i, I would say find someone who you can kind of vent to someone you can let that steam off absolutely to. but but there i think you've got to be careful um part, very often our clients will do it to us but that's expensive because yes. you know these phone calls are charged and such like but you know if you can find um i, I don't want to be too preachy but you know i'm almost invariably i will recommend to my clients that they get a counselor or a therapist yeah. on board just somewhere where they can have that space where they're allowed to say all of the kind of taboo things um uh, and you know get it off their chest and and really express it because that that's healthy uh, and also be careful about using friends for that because yes. they can they can get kind of divorce weary i think well the, we'll the fact that people can get divorce weary definitely you know um but also you know if you've got mutual friends it, it's just creating a really really yeah. poor taste isn't it for you know enabling yeah absolutely position. especially if you know you've got couple friends you know so husband's friends with one wife's friends with the other you know it, it's going to put a real strain on things and, and you know that's that's not ideal for, for anybody um and and the point about counselors is, is really good um and i think actually some people there's that taboo isn't there about um counselors therapists that sort of perception almost that actually if you're going to see a counsellor you have some mental health problem mm. and even if you do that is not a bad thing you know we wouldn't question going to the doctors if we have a broken arm mm. if we're struggling to deal with things emotionally which you know it's a divorce it's one of the worst times of your life you know going to speak to a counsellor who can help you and provide you with those strategies to, to deal with these emotions that you're feeling can be really really helpful not just for your own well-being but also in terms of your legal costs because the yeah, amount absolutely. of times that you know of course we're going to be there for, to be you know a sympathetic ear but at the end of the day we're there to provide a legal legal advice and, and to do the legal work and for protect your best clients. absolutely yeah. and if we spend you know an hour talking about you know the emotional side of things you might feel better because you've got it off your chest but we haven't been able to actually physically achieve anything for you mm. um but unfortunately, we do have to, to charge we for those types charge, of yes. conversations. And so that can be a really expensive way of doing and counselors things. And therapists, uh, counselors and therapists get annoyed at me when I say this. But the reality is that very often counselors and therapists hourly rate is a fraction of mm. what any lawyer's Absolutely. hourly rate is. Uh, you know, I'm talking like uh, a quarter maybe. Maybe, yeah. Um, uh, a quarter of the rate. So if you're looking for a space to... Uh, be able to express that that kind of stuff to get that stuff off your chest and to get some, if you like, uh, response which is going to be helpful other than um, us lawyers doing our empathy thing, um, then, you know, certainly uh, find a counsellor. And if you want to give us a call to see who we recommend, then we can certainly do that. Absolutely. Faye, that's been, that's been 
Great. Thank you very much. No, thank you. Uh, so some initial thoughts there. If, you, if you're just thinking getting into position to uh, look at divorce and separation, by all means, give us a call. You can find us at diannegenders.co.uk or you can telephone us and uh, make an appointment to see Faye, myself or our colleague Diane. Uh, and the telephone number is 01522 516 500. Uh, very good. Uh, we'll have more shows uh, coming up uh, real soon. Um, if you, if there's a specific question that you would like us to explore, then uh, we'll certainly have a look at that. You can email us either at neil at diannegenders.co.uk or faye at diannegenders.co.uk. Uh, if you've got some feedback on the show, then we'd be delighted to hear that. If it was helpful, if it wasn't helpful, um, what you would like instead. Uh, then please do uh, uh, feel free to get in touch. It'll be great to hear from you. And we'll look forward to uh, podcasting again in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you.